It's a great honor to welcome to our congregation the Reverend Brian Combs. Reverend Combs founded Haywood Street, a United Methodist Mission congregation in Asheville, North Carolina, where he serves today. Brian describes Haywood Street as an unflinching Christian communion of sober and intoxicated, homeless and housed, sane and unstable, derelict and disciple. The kingdom of God glance that subverts paternalistic evangelism and poverty tourism while prioritizing the most marginalized, assuming the disinherited are the God-bearers among us. I learned only after talking with Brian and inviting him that he is a longtime friend of Darwin and Myra Smith, who many of you know are longtime members of this congregation, as well as Louise Judd, who encouraged me to invite him today. A number of people in this congregation have visited and raved about Haywood Street's welcome table. Has anybody who's been there? So every Wednesday in four different seatings, a complimentary lunch is served family style on white tablecloths to a gathering of disparate people, princes and paupers alike. It's a chance for people to make connections with people across different social classes. It inspires me. Brian told me that even though his parents were Unitarian Universalists when he was younger, this is his first time speaking at a UU congregation. (laughs) I told him that he could speak freely using his language. I welcome you. Thank you, Melissa and Louise, for the invitation to be here in 1970. My parents got married and they ran off to New York City. And they were running not just from South Florida, but they were also running from the Protestant and Catholic churches. And when they were in Manhattan, they tried on atheism and agnosticism and they took a break from all things God. And then they moved to Charlotte and they were looking for a safe place to re-enter the life of faith. And they started with the UU church. It cannot be said enough, who you are and what you do and how you welcome people matters especially in a world where people feel bruised and injured in the name of God. Thank you for welcoming me and welcoming my parents 50 years ago. Americans spend $40 billion annually on herbicides. Avenger, Ortho, Roundup, these liquid poisons that we spray by the gallon and spread by the acre. If you want to know how committed we are to the cause of eradication, just unlock any of our sheds. That must be why so many churches have self-appointed weeding committees. (laughs) These groups that are interested in making sure that the crop does not get mixed. The chairperson has a habit of standing up and saying, we don't like weeds. They steal nutrients, they deplete the soil, and worst of all, they have this habit of getting tangled up with us, the righteous waves of grain. An uprooting must take place. Then Jesus comes along. We remember he's the shepherd who recklessly leaves 99 to go find the one lost lamb, and he's the irresponsible businessman who pays an equal wage for unequal work. And he is the indiscriminate farmer who sows seed in every direction without taking any account into the 
soil beneath his feet, whether it is fertile or rocky. And he says to the world, hold on, hold on. I want you to put your machetes away and hang up your hose, and I want you to shelve your herbicides. I want you to leave the weeds alone. Leave the weeds alone. So we're confronted with this question. Why would Jesus tell all of us not to pull up the weeds? It's helpful to remember there are two things in common with all parables, according to biblical scholars. That is, one, everything's going to be reversed that we think initially when we hear the parable. And two, somebody is going to get offended. (laughs) All parables have that in common. So I invite you to answer this question for yourself as you hear this reading from Matthew's Gospel. Why not pull up the weeds? And then we'll have a conversation. At Haywood Street, that's the way we preach. It's not a monologue, but it's rather a shared dialogue. And in our setting, we try so very hard to offer preaching, leading of worship, the actual movements of the service to the very people who feel most silenced, Uh, and pushed aside by the world. So we'll get a chance to do that together. So hear these words from Matthew. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, an enemy has done this. The slave said, then do you want us to go and gather them up? But he replied, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. All right, what do you think? Why not pull up the weeds? Yeah, what do you think? If you try to take out the bad, you're going to take out the good. Interestingly enough, if you go to ancient Palestine today, there's something called a bearded darnel. It is a weed that often grows without invitation all over the Holy Land. The interesting thing is the bearded darnel and the grain, wheat, look exactly the same. In fact, from seed to the time of harvest, even an expert farmer can't tell the difference. And so, if you try to go about the business of pulling up the weeds, undoubtedly you will pull up the wheat. Again, as I started, why is it that the church is so interested in the business of separation? I'm a clergyman. I represent the United Methodist Church who right now has an official policy that gay and lesbian people are not welcome. I stand to apologize for that. And I also, when I'm at the grocery store and out in the world, have people pull me aside and say in one way or another, the only thing I know about church is who you don't welcome. The rest is, I don't need to read any further. Institution has this obsession of saying there is us and there is them. The gospel I read says it's just we. But yes, we pull up the wheat or the weeds, undoubtedly we will get confused and the good will get mixed in with the bad. 
Yeah, why else? Why not? Why not pull the weeds? Yeah. I learned to like the weeds um, out of necessity because I don't want to put any poison on the grass, and we have a little dogs that get sick. But but also we have a lot of rabbits, and um, I apologize to our neighbors that we've got clover and dandelions and you know, everything in the yard. And she said that's okay. The rabbits are going to stay in your yard. <laughs> <laughs> Learn to like the weeds. If you ask any horticulturalist, they will tell you the one thing that is required to have a healthy ecosystem is, is weeds. Do yourself a favor sometime and, and flip open a field guide of plants and see if you can find in the back the index and look in the W's for weed and you'll notice that there's actually no such thing as a weed. The category that we invented any horticulturist will tell you a weed is something that we decided was a plant without virtue. So that means if weeds actually don't exist, if it's a category we invented, then a rose in a cornfield is a weed. A red oak and a poplar thicket, well, that's a weed. Pick anything that simply doesn't belong according to someone else and you can call it a weed. But according to the nature of things, actually, everything is just a plant. <laughs> we have just decided some characteristics are worthwhile of valuing and others are only worthwhile of burning eyes. Yeah, you've learned to, to like weeds. It's also helpful to know weeds have some of the deepest roots of all plants. And if you want a healthy garden, and you're going to put in annuals and perennials, they almost undoubtedly have shallow roots. What the weed does is it brings all the healthy stuff up to the top. If you have a pure garden, it actually will be one of the most unhealthy gardens possible. The way things have been arranged, the very creation has been set up so that the crop is mixed. We're supposed to have weeds in our garden. Not intended to be over here and over there. And you notice in this parable there is a desperation by the the workers to say, don't you want us to go back and get everything right? Separate? And the response is, in one word or another, actually, I don't care about purity, but I care about its growth. That feels like gospel to me, that God wants all of us to grow. <laughs> that there's no such thing as God's pure, God's chosen, God's elect, and then everybody else. But rather, again, this collective we where God says, you're planted, so I want you to grow in my name. Yeah, thank you for that. What else? Companion planting. Companion planting. Tell me what that means. They, the symbiosis between the plants helps each other. Ah, yes. <laughs> I hadn't heard that term, companion planting. That's lovely. Yeah, the strengths of one plant can actually help the weaknesses of another, and that together, they both grow stronger. Too. That's remarkable. That feels an awful lot like a, a parable for us human beings, and of course we know Jesus isn't talking about plants here, he's talking about people. And the irony is that perhaps the thing we need to grow is from the person we have most dismissed as other. They have characteristics that are entirely useless, and... and the natural world teaches us over and over again, actually, no, no, 
I need to be in a relationship with a person I want nothing to do with because they are going to help me become the person I can't be on my own. The great critique of those of us worshiping at this hour from 11 to 12, of course, is that we're so segregated. If we take this parable seriously, that means we need to be planted beside the very person we would never choose to be beside. Throughout Jesus' parables, it's always the radical other, the hated person, the, the person we hope never becomes our neighbor that Jesus is saying we need the most. Now I'm going to make some assumptions. This is primarily a white congregation. I'm guessing you all vote Democrat. (laughs) 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 This is a wildly liberal congregation. We do have the occasional Republican. Some people dabbling in moderation. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is critiquing homogeneity. He, he, he's saying, actually, uniformity is death and plurality is life. And I love that in your mission statement it says, we welcome difference. What a radical thing to say. If you're not like me, I actually need you. <laughs> Here's another invitation in this parable to that. Uh, one thing in crops is an example of what you just talked about. Uh, different crops have different little bugs down there. And if you keep planting the same one in the same place, it doesn't work after a while. Yeah, rotating crops is one of the ways to ensure the health of the soil. Interestingly enough, many people have said the spiritual life is about becoming wheat. That's the thing that's most important. If you talk to a lot of gardeners, they will tell you wheat is one of the most high-maintenance crops there is. And in fact, if you plant wheat, it will destroy the soil quicker than almost every other grain there is out there. Yes, sir. I'm not sure if wheat is okay, but I read something about the... Redwood trees and yeah, they they really have uh, shallow roots around big yard, but what they do they they stretch out and they interconnect with one another. Huh. That's what strengthens them and helps them that's to overcome and so tall and everything. Maybe that's kind of hmm. something too that people because we need everybody, you know, to, to you know, all kinds of to help learn to strengthen each other. That's a lovely insight, similar to the companion. Planting the, the great giant sequoia trees have shallow roots, but they intertwine with their neighbors, and when they have a connected root system, then they can all hold each other up. Yeah. We can make um, we have great medicinal purposes. White clovers that grow in New York makes a wonderful tea. Yeah. And it has all kinds of good benefits. Yeah, it's interesting how many of the plants we label weeds actually have incredible medicinal purposes. <laughs> the very plants that we want to toss on the compost pile are usually ones that are the healthiest for us. Um, occasion, and this, this bears, let me be clear, this is not a political reference at all. This is not another subject. I'll bring up the political reference. <laughs> when you find a weed in your midst that is very toxic to everybody in the group. 
Of course, at this church, that hardly ever happens, <laughs> but it has on occasion happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a person who maybe psychologically cannot be brought into harmony. Any answers? The answer to this parable is if you have poison ivy in your church, <laughs> if you have some plant that has no redeemable characteristics, according to this parable is it's not our responsibility. The calling is to wait. God will handle that at another time and at another season. But the actual pulling out of the shears, the snipping, the uprooting, the throwing away, that, that's not our business. Wow. And there are actually people who are not allergic to poison ivy. Ah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Some people who aren't allergic. Yeah. They say that plants communicate with each other, and if one plant is hurt, the other plants feel that. So there's a communication between all ah, plants. Yeah. Yeah, so perhaps if, if what science tells us that. that plants communicate with one another and one is hurting, they're talking to the other, then the weeds and the weeds should be in relationship with one another. I, I took a horticulture class in college and I remember the professor saying, the most important thing you can do for your plants is not water or fertilize them, but rather talk to them. And he was convinced that, that this was the thing that plants needed most. They needed socialization, that they're, they're creatures that need interaction with each other and with us. Well, I think that's appreciation. I think, I mean, living beings, whether we're animals or vegetables or whatever, we, we speak to each other. But I wanted to speak about diversity whenever I'm out in nature, especially the untended places. You, you see so much diversity. And, and that's nature or whatever telling us that this, this is, you know, this is a gift. Look at this a little bit better than trying to separate and make us sort of rigidly go one way or the other. Yeah, let, let nature be our teacher. You take a walk in the woods and it's not a mile for us. There's, there's wild diversity all around us and that is the way that from the very beginning things were intended to be. Um, so why not worship in that way? Why not eat in that way? Why not congregate in that way? I also, I'm a biology major. So I I, I know from just my education that a lot of times when you try to make everything the same, at least in ecosystems, you destroy other, it has lasting effects with other species. So it might not just be, you might be getting rid of this plant, but there's this animal that lives off of there, there's this insect, or and that insect is uh, primary the food source for another animal. And it could just completely devastate an ecosystem just by you trying to make it better. Yeah. Yeah, in the name of trying to make the ecosystem better, if you eradicate that, that one plant that is an annoying whatever, right? you end up destroying the whole thing. I'm trying to get rid of flies everywhere. I remember yeah. in class, we, I hate flies, I hate bugs. And I was like, really, what is, what's, what, if we just got rid of flies, just wipe them out, what is that really going to do? And my teacher had something set up, and it was devastating. Huh. How getting rid of you know this annoying insect, how it would affect so many different ecosystems and eventually ourselves. Yeah. So I just I always feel like that's like the kingdom of God. You know, He wants us to all be different because that brings this strength here and this strength there. And as a whole, it makes us a stronger person or people. 
So eradicating one plant is the first step in our own destruction. <laughs> Sir. For all of that, maybe it's not just the perspective of this season yeah. in terms of yield and strength and growth. If you look at wheat was domesticated from weeds by mm -hmm. our ancestors 2,000 years ago in Fertile Crescent. And it is that biodiversity that may make the future crops that much stronger, that much more productive. There is a cemetery near my house where Thomas Wolfe is buried, and there's a, a headstone, not his, nearby that says, we will all get the chance to bud on earth, but it's not until heaven that we all blossom. Why are we so adamant that, that we have to produce fruit, we have to bloom in, in this growing season? Some of us are slower than others. And I, 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 from the little bit I know about Melissa, she and I have felt committed to people that have been said, no good is ever going to come out of you. You are a vegetable fill-in. You are a sex offender. You are going to be addicted forever. You are never going to be able to manage your mental illness. And here's a parable that says no. Actually, God refuses to believe that. There is always the possibility that growth will emerge. To me, this is the elephant in the room, though, is the way Matthew tells the story is that the weeds are still slated for destruction. They're already branded as bad. We're just waiting for the day when we'll get to it. Isn't that where the, the metaphor falls apart for us? Is I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> I think you're just hoping not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for many people that, that upon first reading, the weeds are bad, the wheat is good, and Jesus is saying, even if you do wait, ultimately God is going to separate all things and the weeds are going to get burned. What we know is there's something called a refiner's fire throughout Scripture, and fire doesn't always have to mean judgment. Interestingly enough, remember Jesus shows up among us as a pauper. He was born to a 12-year-old girl who was not married. His first day on earth, we're going to celebrate next month, began his journey as a homeless man. The company he kept were women of the night, demoniacs, and folks that were dismissed everywhere else. He was poor in every sense by his own choice. The only way you can stay warm in Palestine on a winter night, if you don't have anywhere to live, is to take the bearded darnel to wrap it up and to burn it. The weeds that other people say are useless, it's the very fuel source that keeps people alive. I don't think that the fire that Jesus is referencing in this parable is fire of damnation, but, but rather the fire of, of, of life that keeps the most vulnerable alive. I refuse to follow Jesus who says, at some point, there is a section of us that are banished to hell. That can't be gospel to me. I would say I have to agree with that because the wheat is also going to be destroyed, right? Right? So it has its purpose and the weeds have their purpose. Yeah. And so if you take it to that degree, then yeah, they both, every, everything serves a purpose. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. I'm from Lucky Die Hard Baptist, and I've been the black sheep, and I never could accept that rigidity. 
and in trying to understand what in the world this God thing is, I've decided that what it really means is we're supposed to love everything that is here. That that's our purpose here. It's probably our only purpose here. If you love it, you're going to help it. If you love it, you're going to be good to it. And so to that extent, we are tied to weeds. Um, my husband died and I had crying jags. And finally, my sister-in-law said, did you know your dog shakes awful when you cry like that? And I, you know, and you were talking about talking to plants. I think it's all the same thing. Yeah, ultimately, our, our, our first and final calling is to love and weep among us. I'm not from Hickory. I have to spend a lot of time here. But in the few minutes I've been gathered with you, I take it that the weeds among us are folks that struggle with opioid addiction. The weeds among us are the unemployed furniture workers. The weeds among us are people of color who are trying to eke out a living. Who else are the weeds in Hickory? <coughs> Anybody that's not on the standard religion. Okay. Anybody that's not a standard religion, so we feel like we're weeds in this moment together. Anybody else want to say who we are? If we didn't have the most basic things, the earth would be like the moon and Mars, the void of light, and the most fundamental things are dumb and urine, which are offensive to people who wouldn't want to walk in your garden, get it all over you. But without those things, the most base things, there'd be no life, wouldn't be any worms. Yeah. Within a few years, everything would be dead. Yeah. So that's as base as you can get. Yep. Love our flies. <laughs> God in his wisdom made the fly and then forgot to tell us why. It was called the Kinston Miracle. We all know that little town in eastern North Carolina and at the intersection of Highway 258 and Tyree Road between the mobile home park and hot dog stand. It grew furiously, this green tangle, up to a foot a day, to the top of the telephone pole and across the electrical wires. There was a guy named Kent Harrison who was getting annoyed with seeing it every day on his way to work, and he, he made a note that the next time he was at home, he was going to put his rounds up in the trunk. But then he took a second look, and he noticed that many of the passerbys in Kinston were stopping and getting out of their cars on the road to look up in reverence to what they were seeing. And when he did the same, he noticed that it looked an awful lot like someone hanging on a cross. <laughs> Like perhaps the Savior with his arms outstretched as a canopy over their fair city. The news got a hold of the story and media showed up in Kinston and asked Kent if he would do an interview. And he said, sure, I'll do an interview. And he said, ultimately, I decided that I can't spray Roundup on Jesus. <laughs> What we know about kudzu is, of course, it's the vine that ate the south. But it's also a foundational plant in Chinese medicine. Yes. And interestingly enough, it has profound, profound influence on folks who are struggling with alcoholism, being able to stay sober. 
Clover? No. Clover invites earthworms. Dandelions? Honeybees. Goldenrod? Insects. Milkweed? Habitat for monarch butterflies. Radium? It's literally a balm for skin cancer. As I said, if you ask a farmer, oddly enough, wheat is one of the most high-maintenance crops there is. It literally leaches nitrogen from the soil, it destroys the fertility of the field, and it requires constant irrigation and the heaviest of fertilizers. Why not pull up the weeds? Well, first of all, because we can't tell the difference. Second of all, the very things that most of us want to pull up are the plants that God values most. Friends, Jesus comes among us like the sun so that all of us can spread out our, our leaves and reach the light. He pours out his very blood to slack our thirst. He composts his body in the earth to nourish the ground of all being. The truth is, Jesus was a weed keeper. He wore a crown of weeds for all the plants and the people that were labeled noxious and invasive. We are called to do the same. And for those of us that have given our lives to the church, we can either decide, I'm going to join the weeding committee, or we can say, actually, the cause of God is growth. And I'm going to give myself over to that truth all of my days. Let us go and be a green thumb in the name of love. Amen.